Happy Monday, coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net, and that is where we're broadcasting from. It is Satyar Shah with Bik Nazar on the People Show. Back from vacation. No more vacation. Now, from now till... Well, actually, um, I have my eyes on the Canucks bye week. <laughs> Like, you know what? That'd be a I, good know, time to uh, to take a week off. You say these things of like, oh, I, I'm here to the end of the season. But I knew it's like, this coward's <laughs> not doing it. No. No, I mean, there'll be some days I may take off. But, you know, for all intents and purposes, the summer vacation is over. And coming back into it today, uh, we actually have some quote-unquote breaking news. We'll tell you about that coming up in a second. But, but a lot coming up on the show today. We're going to talk to our good friend, Don Taylor. Coming up at 1.30 and then at 2.30, we are going to be talking some Seattle Mariners, some Seattle Seahawks with Tim Booth. But then coming up at 2, well, we're going to talk a little bit of soccer as well with Alex Gagne-Ruzik because, well, John Herdman has peaced. He said sayonara to Team Canada as the men's national team head coach. He is now joining another league. It is in North America. We'll tell you about that coming up in a second. And obviously, uh, Elliot Friedman this morning was on with Halford and Bruff, and he went in-depth into his sit-down. Is it a sit-down when you're on a boat? I guess you can sit down on a boat, yeah. on a ferry. Disappointed they didn't choose a cubicle like I would. Uh, cubicle vibes on a ferry. but uh, Yeah, that would have been a bit more private. Yeah, I mean, they were having a conversation. Yeah, having a combo and uh, lunch. Apparently, packing your own lunch is is a big topic of conversation. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll get to that coming up in a second. Yeah, so uh, Elliot Friedman was on with Halford and Bruff this morning. If you missed it, make sure to check out their podcast and any of your favorite podcatchers. But we'll play a couple of clips of what Friedman had to say about Pedersen, his likelihood of signing in Vancouver, and what's next for the young Swedish phenom talent after putting up 100 points or over 100 points last year with the Vancouver Canucks. But before we dig into some of the uh, Canucks Pedersen, and stuff. Uh, let's take a moment to look at the big news from today. John Herdman, who has coached both the men and the women at the national level, and I think it's fair to say that he's been the most accomplished men's and women's head coach mm-hmm. in Canadian history. I mean, he's done more for both programs than any single individual coach has ever done uh, in the past. I mean, Bev Priestman won a uh, no true. Gold. It's true, she did. But yeah. I'm saying in terms of like getting the program back in, like he was part of it. Sure. I just say in general, yeah, yeah. Bev, Bev's great. There's a lot that John Herdman has done. And there was a rumor last year uh, when Canada was on its way to Qatar that New Zealand was trying to poach the, Canadians head, the uh, Canadian head mm-hmm. coach. But he said, no, he wants to stay with Team Canada. But he's now decided to part ways. And, Bick, it's not a surprise given the absolute you-know-what show Canada soccer has been. And I think the question is, John Herdman leaving, should it be viewed as, you know what, he he bid his time, he did what he could do, it's a natural time for him to go and pursue other ambitions. He is, however, not leaving for Europe. He's not leaving for another national team. He's leaving for a job in MLS. Now, hey, Lionel Messi came to the MLS, right? (laughs) And he's having a lot of success. And we've seen a few MLS head coaches, Jesse March being made the most recent one, who's no longer the coach of Leeds United, but went to Leeds, had a good start to last year, then everything went sideways, he got fired. So there's precedent to go from being an MLS coach to being a uh, coach in Europe, namely the Premier League, the best league in the world. But how do we view John Herdman no longer being part of Canada? Should we say, you know what, he did what he could? Or do we look at this with 
a level of skepticism here. As a, a supporting group, uh, a lot of people have bought into what John Herbin was selling and a huge selling point, not just to the players that were he was recruiting to go play, but to the rest of the nation to support it was unity. And today, and again, I want to be very clear with this because we talked about it last week. John Herdman broke character mm-hmm. of acting out of self-interest. But it's okay. It's fine. Because the unity, as he was the face of the unity, it's not all upon him to develop the infrastructure to create that unity. Mm-hmm. And all the vibes leading up to Qatar were fantastic. Headmanned, I would say, by him. Mm-hmm. But as we know, the Federation as a whole has had its issues, continues to have its its issues, not working with enough speed to solve its problems. And eventually, you can't ask everyone to hold the line for so long to build and keep selling the same sales pitch. You have to have evolution. Yes. And the evolution never seemed like it was going to come. And now these are the ramifications for it because the task seems very unenviable for someone like Herdman, whose stock was at an all-time high, as you mentioned, started to get recruited, but also just managing your own worth is going to be a difficult task for these next three years. And if you're not offered stability as far as the program, job security certainly, leading through the 2026 World Cup, but stability of how to do your job was not available for John Herdman. No, and you know what? Like Herdman had spoken quite a bit about how Qatar was supposed to be a setup for the next World Cup that's yeah. going to be held in North America. You know, Vancouver's going to be hosting games. And he how, how often did he talk about that's our goal? That, that's what we're trying to get to. And that's the tournament we want to make some noise in. Not just be happy to be there. Like we want to go in and be a, be and, a nation that can And they successfully compete. competed that by December of 2022. Yeah. they The platform was ready to take the next step. You're not meant to be three years away from a host nation as a World Cup already in flux of who is going to be shepherding the next wave of talent. No, and for him to leave and bypass being part of Canada's World Cup team, I think the first thing you can look at and say, hey, maybe he got offered an offer he couldn't refuse, you know, and this is an opportunity he couldn't refuse. Listen, I can't speak for him. I'd say this is not that. that. Hang on. That's fine. Like, I don't know the financial details. It could be enormous, and you could say, hey, I can't refuse this. But I... I to me, an offer I, you I, can't I, refuse is going to Europe. Sure. But the opportunity to be the manager of a host nation at the World Cup, that surpasses a great deal. It's huge. It's huge. So why would he not do that after speaking quite a bit about how his goal was for Canada to make noise in 2026? I think it tells you everything you need to know about what's been going on with Canada soccer and how they're running their organization. They've been at odds with the women's team. They've been at odds with the men's team. I mean, we're getting to a point now, Bick, that young players, we're talking about teenagers, younger players who have who have opportunities to play for a number of nations given their citizenship uh, possibilities, they're not choosing Canada anymore. Canada's losing the next wave they're banking on for 2026 and beyond because of what a you-know-what show Canada soccer has been the past year. They're losing all their momentum. The organization is falling apart. And to me, John Herdman is jumping ship before it, it tarnishes him 
and his individual potential. To your point, I think what's happening now is everyone's looking out for themselves. Mm -hmm. And I cannot blame any individual looking out for themselves when Canada had such an opportunity to build on the growth of soccer in this nation at the men's and women's level. And all they've done since is pull the rug from under these people. Tyler texting in 650-650. And I think Tyler's correct in saying this. Everyone is talking at like Herdman is the best coach of all mm. time. He happened to coach the most talented Canadian men's team of all time. Look, there is real tactical things that we can talk about of things that went wrong in Qatar and limitations to what John Herdman has showed and we think can do. On-field issues. Absolutely. He is still the guy that pushed this nation to the World Cup. Real qualification, not not automatic qualification by hosting the World Cup, still got them there. He's still responsible for being the most successful Canadian team with the fact that it was a real talent. And look, there's opportunities to find the next best coach to say, say someone that's a astute tactically, someone that's going to get things right on the mm-hmm. pitch. But given that someone that was such the face of the program and was empowered to do so. Do you think this is an attractive job that you're going to recruit the best person to do that? That's the question I have. And that's the thing here. So, I mean, you know what? Like, we criticized him quite a bit, actually, during the World Cup about some of the decisions he made, some of the tactical decisions he made. And, you know, people are texting in about the whole uh, F Croatia thing and all Mm -hmm. that sort of stuff. Um, So, what we're seeing is a guy that obviously has made some mistakes, right? He's a player that, I mean, he's a coach that obviously isn't perfect. And I would have been fine with if Canada had his stuff together and been like, you know what, we're making a move and we're going to go get an upgrade on on our coach. But what's happening is the Federation is running into huge problems with how they're handling things. I mean, so John Herdman's not leaving this job because everything was hunky-dory and he got a better better, better opportunity mm-hmm. going somewhere else. And hey, to, to the whole talk of about, okay, you know what? He had the most talent Canada's ever had. Well, he's also responsible for recruiting a lot of that talent to Canada. You need to have a coach that can recruit those players and and make sure that you know they're creating enough of an environment where players can look at Canada and say, you know, we want to represent that national team, right? How much is that going to be impacted now based on what's happening with Canada soccer? I know all these players want to go and play in the World Cup and everything, but I mean, or, or what kind of issues are we going to start seeing here when? Players are feeling feeling like they're not getting paid, they're not being respected. The federations not looking out for their best interests. At least that's how they view it, whether it's true or not. I think this is just an extension of Canada soccer, just essentially ruining the momentum they've had for the men and women's teams. It, to, to me, again, I, I say he's he's acting out of self interest, and it's fine. But it's a bigger indictment of the program as a whole that it became obvious that it's not worth managing for another three years than it is to take. Uh, the TFC job, where he's probably getting a long-term deal. You would expect, you know, five years. I don't know if there's beneficial uh, numbers put forth, but you'd expect it to be a fairly substantial job security uh, that it's not worth managing all this for the next three years, despite the opportunity of hosting uh, a World Cup and being the manager for it. Yeah, and you know what? And, and somebody texted in, Edgar says, Sat, that's not true. Name one player that has left Canada for another country in the last five years. Well, there was a, there was a nine, uh, the young creation um, phenom, 
Nico Sigur, who has chosen to represent Croatia. He could have represented Canada. He chose Croatia. This was just a few months ago. He decided the, the to go opportunity to Croatia. of the World Cup was meant to be, hey, we can now recruit people. Yeah, and that's just one example. Yeah. So we're seeing that recruitment's not quite happening. I mean, you you had momentum here, and the momentum's being lost. So for a guy like Herdman, and we can be critical of you know his decision-making and all that, but I don't think he's leaving because, hey, everything was going well, and, I'm, and it's time for me now to try something different. I think he's leaving because this is a ship I don't want to be on. Mm-hmm. And to your point, what's a better launching off point than being at a World Cup for a host nation, for one of the three host nations at the World Cup. So how much confidence does he have in the program? Does he, does he think it's going to fall flat on his face? Because if it falls flat on his face in 2026, the rest of the world is not going to look at it and say, well, you know, Canada Soccer Federation, they're the ones who messed it up. They're going to look at it and say, those players underachieved and that head coach couldn't get the best out of what it. What happened in four years that you couldn't continue to take a step or at least stabilize what you did because it's not as if there was results what? it's not as if there was overwhelming flood of goals a lot of people would say hey what's the progress looking from 2022 to 2026 that opportunity was not worth even trying to top that yeah that, that to, to me today it's, it's it's a very unfortunate day because it's you know you've been sold this idea of hey it's all coming together it's all coming together well that's coming to a close today yeah when you know what i would feel a lot better if canada soccer had let's say, some credibility here, some, track some acumen, that I could say, you know what, hey, not only are they going to be able to replace Herdman with a better head coach, they can recruit a head, good head coach. And hey, maybe they find a coach who's going to be better, and I hope so. I mean, who, who, who wants Canada to fail? Like, we all mm-hmm. want Canada to have success. But how difficult is it going to be, given everything we've seen with Canada soccer, for them to recruit the type of European or the type of coach you want that can take this group to the next level? It seems like they have to kind of hit you gotta ha- kind of have to hit big on mm-hmm. on something within the margins here. So that's the thing I'm I'm really I'd say concerned about. Six fifty six fifty. Uh, <laughs> credits from Coquitlam wants to give a huge shout out to uh, your name dropping of uh, <laughs> uh, multiple uh, Nico Segura. Yeah. yeah. Uh, also Daniel Fernandez from Portugal. Um, yeah. Krez uh, dropping in a bunch of names into the 650-650 inbox. Keto says, Herdman not the right coach for 26. We need a good European coach with real experience. It, look, I, I think there's going to be a lot of people that wanted to see uh, an evolution uh, from the players. Now that opportunity is going to be presented, but let's not pretend like John Herdman didn't earn the right to coach 2026. Oh, of course he did. I mean, I think he did. I mean... We can talk about him him not doing the type of job you wanted him to do at the World Cup, but did he do anything to deserve to get fired? I'd say no. Mm-hmm. And again, like I'm, I'm fine with you moving on from, from coaches. I think it's fine. But how much confidence do you have in Soccer Canada not only finding a, a good replacement, but a replacement that's better than the coach they already have? Because my confidence is not very high, personally. So that's just kind of how I feel about uh, what's going on with... Soccer Canada, and we'll talk more about this yeah. coming up at two o'clock, and we'll dig into what's next here for for Canada soccer, and 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 whether this can be a good thing for them. But it's kind of hard to look at everything that's happened since the World Cup, Bic, and feel good about what's happening here. I mean, listen, the women's team didn't do well at the Women's World Cup, and they deserve obviously, whether you want to call it criticism or fault, whatever. But how much do you think the federation got in the way of them being able? To have a good tournament when you don't when you don't solve your financial issues to the day before you play your first match, I mean nobody's nobody was focused on the task mm-hmm. at hand for the World Cup. I mean they're still upset and bitter about what's happening with Canada soccer. So I don't know my confidence is at an all time low, and it's really frustrating considering how much money they, there is to be made here and what opportunity does exist. 
Absolutely. Keep coming with the comments. 650, 650. Do you have more uh, confidence in uh, them finding the next quality head coach or like what the Canucks can do with Elias Pettersson? Ah, nice segue. Nice see segue. I see, I, see, I see what you're doing here. <laughs> and uh, we'll talk to Don Taylor too uh, about uh, not only Elias Pettersson. You didn't answer the question though, Seth. Uh, I have more confidence in Elias Pettersson signing a contract <laughs> in Vancouver. Yes, I do. <laughs> And hey, and given how things have gone in Vancouver, that tells you quite a bit about, you know, where things are at with Canada soccer. Okay, I mentioned this. I know I jumped on with you guys briefly on Thursday when you guys were at uh, the Giants uh, golf tournament, which was fantastic, by the way. Mm-hmm. And shout out to the Giants for, for holding uh, a great tournament. It was great to also meet uh, a number uh, of our good friends. Like, I'm, uh, I got a chance to meet Michael and Matt, Matt, Matthew from Kintech. Also had a chance to meet Barbie from Kim's Angels. A lot of fun. So we, we had a good time uh, at, at uh, the golf tournament um, in Tawasson Springs. But one of the things that I mentioned to you then was, hey, I'd still expect Patterson to sign a contract. So I'm not concerned about Elias Patterson signing a contract. The question is, how big is that contract going to be? And how long is that contract going to be? Because, and we're going to play a clip here from Elliot Friedman, who was on with Halford and Bruff this morning. But... There is a sentiment, clearly, that the level of success the team has is going to impact the next Pedersen contract, and it will, but I have a different take on it as well. But here's what uh, Elliot Friedman had to say to Halford Bruff today when it comes to the reason why Pedersen doesn't want to jump into a contract extension. See, I don't think it's a negotiating ploy at all. Uh, I, I think that's got basically nothing to do with it. I, I have no reason to believe... like. I think the Vancouver Canucks know that Pedersen is going to be very highly paid. And I, and I think that they are more than understanding that it's going to take a, a big deal to get them done. And, um, you know, I, I, I think that they're like, I don't think there's any reticence from the Vancouver Canucks to sign him whatsoever. So I don't think that that is any part of the equation, and I don't think that any of this is like I think in Nylander's case, there is definitely a gap, and that's a problem. You've got to figure out a way to bridge the gap. I don't think that's the case with Pedersen, and one of the reasons is, as everybody in Vancouver knows, is that he's not a UFA after this year. It's not as urgent in that way. There is time to figure this out. As Pedersen said in the interview he's not sure yet if he sees his next contract is a long-term or a short-term one he hasn't even gotten there really this is all about how does he feel about the organization so like everything the organization's done to try to straighten things out and get them into a position to win i think that he wants to make sure it's going to work now I, i think it's important to note here that Um, I didn't get any sense at all that he thinks that the plan is terrible. I didn't get any sense at all that he thinks that the people running the Canucks or coaching the Canucks don't know what they're doing. I just think he wants to make sure. And I think it's important to point out, too, that um, he knows that part of the Canucks having a successful season is him duplicating or exceeding the year he had last year. And um, he's very serious about it. Uh, we, like, like I said in the, in the podcast, uh, on the boat trip, like he brought a lunch. 
Um, and it's a lunch that was prepared for him by a chef. And, you know, he's, he's stronger. Um, you know, he talked about how he looked two years ago and how he looks now. And he's still, still really lean. Like, I don't think he's ever going to be, you know, an angry Bruce Banner. But he <laughs> understands that there are things he can do to make himself more powerful. And he's committed to that. So, Jason, I do not believe this is a negotiation tactic. I think this is purely about does he think, does he see the plan come to some degree of fruition this year? That is Elliot Friedman, who was on Halford and Bruff this morning for the full interview. Make sure to check out your favorite podcatcher for it. Now, obviously, I think the big takeaway, and I think the fear a lot of Canucks fans have here, Bic, is, well, uh, if this season goes sideways and Pedersen wants out and he's not going to stay here. And I mean, I guess, hey, that possibility always exists when a player is not signed long term. But for, for that to happen, I think, I think things would have to go significantly sideways. And I mean, hey, maybe it does or whatever. But my biggest takeaway from all this is, and I've been asking around about it a little bit, and there is, like like Elliot mentions, there's really no fear organizationally about Pedersen not signing. I think the intrigue is more about what can he command? And I don't necessarily mean with AAV, because I think we all kind of know, like, hey, if he signs a long-term deal, you know, it's going to be a pretty big contract. But if you want to sign a shorter-term deal, and listen, there are people that truly believe Pedersen is not interested in a long-term deal. He prefer to sign like a three-year deal potentially. But you're not getting a Matthews three-year deal, and I mean, or four-year deal at $11, $12 million per season, mm-hmm. unless you can write your own check. And as good as Pedersen's been, I don't think he's done enough yet for him to be able to, to command any contract he wants, right? Like like I mentioned, we mentioned a few weeks ago, some of the discussions that have gone on with the contract, I don't think Vancouver is willing to give him the 10, 11, over, or 12 even over three or four years. But if you want to do eight, eight or seven, sure, we can do that. But if Pedersen has a big year this year, or he shows he can do the same thing he did last year, then he's going to sign whatever contract. He's going to be able to demand whatever contract he wants, and Vancouver's going to have no choice but to give it to him. And I think that's going to be the most determining... I think that's going to be the most interesting thing for me. Like, hey, maybe the team does, you know, struggle this year, but I don't see them struggling the way they struggled the past few years. Like, I think... I think there's a chance they're kind of around 500 for much of the year. They're kind of competitive, kind of in the mix or whatever, which I don't think shows enough for him to be like, I want out or anything. So I think the biggest question is going to be, can Pedersen demand a shorter term deal at a massive number? And how he plays this year is going to determine that. I think a big thing too is, and I'm just going to compare it to the Calgary situation, Kachuk and Goudreau. It always felt like there was an eye from both of those players elsewhere. That, yeah, yeah okay, we can have success here. But my eye is also looking towards free agency. My eye is looking towards an American city. And we saw how those two situations develop. You don't get the sense that Elias Pettersson's eye is anywhere else but Vancouver. Now, what happens over the course of 82 games? How does that change? Just as it stands right now, his focus and his primary goal is how does this team have success? And how do I be a focal point of that success? And how will that change my conversation that I want to have, whether it happens after game 60, whether it happens at the end of the year of what the contract is. That to me is a huge spot in this, that does the team feel fear in the negotiation? Certainly doesn't seem that way. Does the player want to look elsewhere? Certainly doesn't seem that way. So the fear of how this contract gets solved to me doesn't exist. 
where the fear does exist is how will the team perform? Right. That's I'm more concerned about how the team performs because everything else takes care of itself if the team does well. And there's reasons to say, hey, this isn't a 100-point team. There's reasons to say this isn't a 95-point team. There's reasons to say this team's not even a 90-point team. And you start to get into those conversations, that's when you can start weighing the risk-reward of what the ultimate outcome can be for Elias Pettersson. Well, and I think that's absolutely it there, right? And the, the one thing that I also wonder about, and I pitched this to you, did the Canucks as an organization this offseason approach things as if they have full confidence in this roster, or did they also hedge a little bit? Because you know what, like, hey, and we we've I've applauded their offseason. I think they've done a good job, right? Like, you know, we we spoke about this quite a bit, but they haven't solved anything long term this offseason. Draft, you never know, right? I mean, it's gonna take some time for you to know if any of your draft picks are gonna be long term solutions. You hope that Willander, who I'm a big fan of, is gonna be a top four righty defenseman that this team needs. But you know, we'll see ultimately how that's gonna play out. You never know what draft picks, but none of the players they signed are like surefire long term mm-hmm. solutions. Cody, I guess Carson Soucy is probably the only one because they gave him a three-year deal, but it's under $4 million. There's still a little bit of hedging. Did the organization approach this with the utmost confidence in this roster? Because, I mean, we're sitting here saying, well, Pedersen's trying to see what yeah. happens. How much did this organization say, you know what, let's kind of see what happens again this season here. And, yeah, we're, we're liking this long term, but, you know, we've had, we had about $10 million in cap space, and the only co- guy we gave anything significant to was a three-year deal to Carson Soucy. I'm also going to pair in some of the things that come into effect this year as well. Like, we didn't really get a good look at Philip Peronik. It was four games. He was kind of dinged up. Let's see what a proper look. I'm, I'm including Philip Peronik into this off-season plan. And to be honest, like, the JT Miller com- contract comes into effect this year. So now that's, some, that's a bet that they've made. So I, I think there is some belief, but they have outs. How about, you know, use a poker term they have outs yes. in some of this yes you are right that is there some skepticism that they've they've really truly bought into this but at least like in relation to last year the outs were clearly pointing towards we're dissolving some of this some of this is going to end and we're okay however it goes if we win we win if we lose we lose the plan clearly here is the intent is there to win yeah and so that's why I say they do have belief in the players and in, in the moves that they have made. But you're right. It's not a full committal. But we also didn't want to see a full committal. No, we didn't, we, we didn't want, want to. to see them double down on everything and say, hey, this is the one. We, we're we taking a leap of faith that hasn't existed. At least now they've left themselves the out. No, they do. They, they have they have options, right? But they left themselves out. out. And we've been saying, hey, if this year doesn't go the way you want, now you have a bunch of guys you can move at the trade deadline. But if you get to that situation, then it's kind of like hedging it, a little it, bit. It's a bad outcome, but at least they have ways to make the best of a bad situation. They do. But if you're trying to convince somebody to stay here long term, you're still also taking the kind of let's see what happens approach. Yep. So if the organization is doing somewhat of let's see what happens, then should you be surprised? The player is also saying, let's see what happens. You know, So I think there's kind of that going on here with Elias Pettersson. We'll talk more about Pettersson as well, especially coming up uh, next segment when we, when we talk to Don Taylor. And we'll get into the latest with the Vancouver Canucks, of course. We'll talk with the Whitecaps and the BC Lions. And before we get out, though, we have a lot of text messages coming in, a lot of them flooding in, especially about our conversation around uh, John Herdman and Canada soccer. So keep getting your thoughts into our Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650-650. This one says, please, let's not focus on elite players with dual citizenship who have the opportunity to play for top five countries in the world. We will never get them to play for Canada. They have a choice. Would you? Well, I mean, Steven Eustachio is Portuguese and Canadian. He chose Canada, right? I mean, last time I checked, Portugal is a pretty, mm-hmm. pretty good soccer nation, right? It's all about your pathway to the top. Exactly. There are a lot of players that are 
or have the opportunity to, to be capped, perhaps. But mm-hmm. Ustock, you're probably not good enough to play for Portugal's you know, national team. And a lot of these players probably aren't good enough to quite play for those national teams, but they have an opportunity to play for your national team. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's what you have to look at. And there's been a few of those players that Canada has been I mean, able to convince the in the world past. It happens. Exactly. So it comes down to it's not so much about, hey, oh, why would a player from a great soccer nation come? What's well, more about the opportunities that might be provided him for a nation like Soccer Canada, for instance, or a nation like Canada that can provide you more opportunities than perhaps trying to fight your way up the Croatian ladder or fight your way up the Portuguese ladder or the English ladder for that for that matter. And I mean, I'll give you an example. Canada was trying to convince Ficayo Tomori, mm-hmm. who's uh, this English defender, now is playing in 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 Italy. He's incredible. Like he's super talented, but he's kind of like uh, in between the talent, the level of is he truly good enough to to cap for England? You might think he is, but he's kind of on that borderline. Now, who chose to go for England and Canada that didn't get him? But those are the players you're trying to convince. The guys that might have a chance, but probably going to be squad players if they get lucky, versus you can go and feature for Canada. And when you have a strong federation, you have a strong program, you can convince those players to come over. Canada's done that in the past, but now that's becoming harder and harder again. And hopefully they get their you-know-what in order. All right, keep your thoughts coming into our Dunbar Lumber text inbox. We'll keep it going. It's Satin Bick on The People Show. Back in on the People Show, Satyar Shah with Vic Nazar. And the People Show is brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at dleamc.com. We are going to be joined by Don Taylor coming up in a few moments' time. The BC Lions, Vic, struggling. We have lost now three out of the last four. And that last performance was was pretty stinky. Like, we've seen a couple of games haven't quite gone their way, but it was a stinky performance by the BC Lions, now 7-4 and four on the season. But lo and behold, Bick, the Vancouver Whitecaps, a big road victory, and we got to see two of their additions, Richie Larea and Sam Adekube, and it looked pretty good. It looked pretty good. So uh, a couple of teams may be going in opposite directions, and to talk about that and more, let's welcome in Don Taylor from Donnie and Dolly on Czech TV. Looking forward to that being back close to hockey season next month. And Donnie, how are you enjoying uh, the last few days of your summer vacation? Um, uh, well, the, the fact that they're ending, it's not, <laughs> <laughs> it's not great. <laughs> but uh, Dolly Wall's already panicking about what we're going to do on the first day, so... That's what I'm dealing with uh, today. But uh, now it's been great. But uh, as the days go by, and you know what it's like, we complain about our jobs like everybody else does. But our jobs are pretty damn good, and I I, I, I miss it. And I'm I'm being sincere. I've done it for a long time, and I and, and I miss it. I can't wait to get back to work. Hockey's you know NHL hockey just around the corner. Junior hockey, all of that. I can't wait. What's to uh, stress about the first show? It's just is Elias Pettersson signed? Yes or no? They're like I I can do your poll question right now, Donnie. Rick, Rick, Rick stresses about every show. It, it doesn't matter if it's if it's our first show in two months or not. If it's our first show in two hours, it, it, it wouldn't matter. But uh, I, I love him. I love that he cares cares that much. But he can lay off this week. I'll tell you, it's my last week before before I go back to work. So um, there, there's that. Lots of fun. We were just kind of talking about uh, the, the the whole contract situation uh, in the opening segment, and. And I was kind of suggesting that, like, I don't have concerns over the whole negotiation. I, I you know, it'll get solved, but it, it feels like because everything hinges on the performance of the team, I got more concerns about that than I do the actual negotiation. Oh, bang on! And I, I think people panicked when they saw the interview with with Elias and, and Elliot. 
And I think people panic because there is, you know, I don't know if it's a Swedish thing. I don't even want to go down that road, but there's a matter of factus, if that is, if that is indeed a proper phrase, mm-hmm. about the way he talks. It, it, you know, just very calm. Some people might look at it as indifference or that, you know, they, that he doesn't care. They're just the way he talks. And, and I think when you, you, you hear that, I think you automatically say to yourself as a passionate fan that, oh, he wants out. He doesn't care. There's no passion there. That's just the way he is. And, I, you know, you, you make the point, Vic, I think where you're going, he's, he's going to be an RFA. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's a positive for the team. Where is he going to go? Obviously, you know, as, as you know, with the term RFA, he, he is restricted. It's going to get done. Just a matter, I, I think, and I heard you guys talking in the previous half hour, you know, how, how long is that, is that contract going to be? Is he going to go, is he going to buy some of his UFA years? In which case, is, is he going to swallow some of his UFA years? In, in which case, it's going to cost a lot. But I just wouldn't, I wouldn't buy into the tone of his conversations with anybody, uh, public conversations, because that's just the way he is. And I don't think people should panic because of it. Well, you know what, like there is, you know, I was just thinking about this the other day as well. It seems, I don't want to call it an inferiority complex in the market, but I do think there is this feeling sometimes of, oh, is a star player going to stay here or is he going to go, right? I mean, maybe he goes back to Bure and what happened with him. I mean, I remember Luongo for the longest time before he signed his contract. Is he going to sign an extension? Is he going to stay in Vancouver? Does he want to be in Vancouver? Does he like Vancouver? I heard he doesn't like Vancouver. Maybe he doesn't want to stay in Vancouver. Like there was this kind of feeling around Luongo, this big angst about him wanting to be here or not. Then obviously he, he signs a long term extension which which actually drove him out of town at the end of the day which is kind of funny but there seems to be always a player around the Canucks maybe goes back to Bury, perhaps even farther than that where there's this kind of this almost inferiority complex over star players wanting to be here or not yeah and, and Bix bang on with you know if you're if you if he's changing his decision on the performance of the Vancouver Canucks g- given history we all know what's going to happen I, I I you know like I hate to say it but or at least we all know what everybody expects to happen. Mm-hmm. So I can understand why there's angst in the, in the market. I totally understand that. And yeah, I'm trying to think if, if there was a if there was a player before Bure who really burned the Canucks. I mean, there was all sorts of things with, with Pavel that you know um, led to him get going out of town. That was a long yeah. holdout, and that really hurt. Was it Craig you know, Janney saying no to the trade? Maybe I mean that's yeah, pretty that's much a, it. That's a good one. Although that one worked out. Yeah, yeah. it did. You know, mm-hmm. they ended up getting you know Brown and Lafayette and Hedekin in '94, and they played key roles in getting the Canucks to a Stanley Cup. If only Lafayette could shoot about three inches more to the left, everything would be fine. But that that, that worked out. But the Bure one, her, you know, arguably the greatest player in Canucks history. Uh, you know, uh, that one really, really hurt people because at the very least, whether they were winning or not, he put on a show every every night. And for him to leave, you know, rather unexpectedly, uh, that that really hurt. He would he would be the first one. I, I, I just, again, I'll go back to what I said earlier. It's those are two different personalities. Pavel seemed angry. Elias doesn't seem angry. He seems calm and cool. And again, some people might re- re- uh, you know read that as indifferent. I don't think that's the case. It, it was different with Pavel. We'll, we'll move past uh, Sat calling Canucks fans uh, the jilted boyfriend of like, hey, <laughs> you good in the relationship? Are you happy right now? Are you now? happy? Are you, good? Are you, happy are you okay? Uh, the insecurity is never a good thing in a relationship. <laughs> but uh, Donnie, again, you mentioned you guys going back on air pretty soon here. Like, what are you geeked up for the season then? Like, the features of the team that you're looking at saying like, hey, this fires me up. Uh, okay, you, you talked about a full season with 
uh, Mikheyev, mm-hmm. you know, Philip Koronik, and you know, um, we we've been criticized a lot for ripping into that trade. I think a lot of it has to do with the uh, the insecurity that we just talked about of Canucks fans. <laughs> and I, I'm somebody who's been around since 1970. Yeah. I don't like them having two draft two first round draft picks rather high for like three minutes and then trading one of them away. I just I just hate that given history. But I do want to see him for a full season. You know, let's give him the benefit benefit of, of the doubt. That's interesting. McKayev's interesting. Uh, I, I want to see Rick Tockett. I want to see Rick Tockett with a full season under his belt. How interesting that will be. I think I think players want to play for him. Can Thatcher Demko stay healthy? That might be the one that people are talking about the most. That probably means the most, mm-hmm. and, and probably that people aren't talking enough about. Yeah, far that, and away. And yeah. That that means the most, and and, and that's 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 going to be really interesting. You know, um, you know, Susie and Cole. Uh, which one's going to play on the right side? That to me is always interesting. Is is that going to be a fit? What's going to happen with Tyler Myers after the bonus is paid out? It's always interesting, guys. And it's one of the reasons why, like I said earlier, I, I, I can't wait. I know I'm the same. I mean, especially the closer it gets, the more excited you get, even for preseason hockey. Like, I'm, I'm always excited for preseason to start. And then it takes like 15 minutes of the first period to be like, okay, th- this can end now. We don't need to do all the six games. But I'm, I'm excited for the season to see what happens. And, you know, you mentioned Tyler Myers. Honestly, Donnie, Sure, maybe when the bonus gets paid next month, something could happen. But I think once the bonus gets paid, I don't think there's going to be any urgency for Vancouver to trade Myers because they've already paid most of the salary for this year. So it's going to come down to whether they can get value for him or not at some point this season. And that's going to really depend on how he plays, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I don't know. I didn't get a good sense of what Rick talked uh, thinks of him. But I do know that, uh, you know, statistically speaking, their PK was the worst of the National Hockey League. He was a big part of that. Um, is that is that a bold strike against him? Uh, if if it is, what does that do to his trade value? But keeping him around for another year, if you can't get, it's not the worst thing in the world. He is at the very least not worth six million dollars a year. I think we can all agree on that. But he is at the very least a serviceable player. You know who who could who could chew up some ice time. He has been since he, he's got here. He hasn't been worth what he's paid, and that's not his fault. But he's at least serviceable. That wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. If they get great value for him, absolutely ship him out but if he stays the year and as a result at the end of it they free up cap room i think people would be okay with that now when it comes to um how this you know how this canucks team is going to fare obviously we'll see ultimately what happens and you know you mentioned demko and health i mean health's always a big thing and hopefully uh, they're healthy enough to have a good start next season but when it comes to other sports i wanted to get your thoughts on uh what's kind of happening here with the bc lions i mean you know we talk so much about the lions were right on track they look like the real strong team in the market and hey they're, they're still seven and four on the season mm. but they've lost three of the last four the last game uh this weekend was maybe one of the maybe the worst game they played they they looked slow they looked a little disinterested at times it wasn't kind of the swagger we've seen from this lions team is that just hey it's a long cfl season we're not even a labor day yet don't worry about it or are we starting to see some flaws here with this team yeah uh, tough to watch because not only were the lions poor but james butler was outstanding Mm -hmm. and uh that 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 hurt and i don't know what the situation with was with him uh leaving him wanting to leave the team being okay with him leaving I'm not sure, but that was doubly hard. Um, three of four is you know is not great. Um, I was at the uh, Saskatchewan game; they won, but that wasn't really entertaining. So there's obviously some flaws there, and maybe the rest of the league is starting to figure them out. What worries me the most is their offensive line, 
and I say that with all due respect, but none of, none of the quarterbacks, obviously led by Vernon Adams Jr., look comfortable right now. There's just there, there's not, you know, and I don't know what the injury situation. We know he's, he's been banged up early in the year, but uh, there's not a lot of time. There's not a lot of comfort, and we've talked about this a lot in, in, in sports, guys. Like hockey, football, baseball, comfort is a big thing. Calm, comfort, all, all that. I don't see that with Vernon Adams right now, and I don't think it's him. I, I, I think he's just got a, not enough time. He's certainly got the weapons, but I don't know if he's got the time right now. And it'll be interesting to see what they do with NFL cuts and, and, and things like that, if indeed they make changes there. I know a lot of Lions fans would love to see Nathan Rohr come back, but given how he's played in this preseason, it doesn't look like the Jaguars are going to cut him, does it? No. No, and if you know if if he's let let go, given the the hype he got, uh, you know, for, certainly from the from the first game, and has been solid since. I, I, is somebody going to gobble him up? I, I, you know, I I, I would I, I would think so. I just I just can't see it. He he looks really good, and at the, at the very least, he's a really juicy storyline down in Jacksonville, and I think people would be upset uh, upset with that organization. I know they had a pretty good season last year. But upset with that organization if they if, if they let him go, even with Trevor Lawrence around. Yeah, no, I'm there with you on it. I'd, I'd be surprised if that happens as well. Now, Donnie, uh, before we let you go, um, you know, I wanted to get your thoughts as well on the Vancouver Whitecaps too. And I, I know with MLS, everybody's you know looking at Lionel Messi and everything there, you know, that he's doing. And everything. That's really the big talk. But you know, the the, the Whitecaps quietly made a couple additions, right? Getting Sam Adekubi and Richie Larea, who both play for the men's national team and they played really well for the men's national team and we got to see them a little bit against uh, the Portland Timber the other day I mean and they, they found a way to win that game I just wonder like the Whitecaps have been really good offensively this season if they find figure things out defensively could they be the team that you know really makes Vancouver proud by the time we get into the fall I think everybody's really surprised and I thought that it, for, for them to win that game in Portland was just so important what are they they're three points out of third play I know they're in seventh but last time I checked Three points. That really surprised a lot of people. It's like, wow, these guys, they made those key additions, not only key additions, but key Canadian additions. And that, that to have Brian White and, and, and Ryan Gold playing, playing so well right now is just so important. Those are the guys who were supposed to be leading them, and they certainly did down in, in Portland. Yeah, they, they I, I, you know, for weeks it was like, oh, man, the Lions are you know, doing so well right now. And the, the, the White, who are, they? who are the White? But now it's kind of the, the tables have turned. Uh, a bit right now, and I'm not knocking the Lions for a second. I'm just saying it's about performance, recent performance on the field. It looks it looks pretty promising. By the way, that 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 goal that Messi scored the other night it, it, against New York in the in the dying minutes, uh, it just the pass he made. It, it was one of those, and I always feel this way. And I felt this way about hockey for a long time, and I swear to God, when I played lacrosse as a kid, it used to be the case. He should have got a goal and an assist on that play because that pass he made, I thought I, I, when he first made it, I thought, well, what's he doing? And he, he saw things that only he could see and he got the return pass and put it in. It was just, it, it was, he's been so special since he's uh, uh, come to North America. It's been, it's been really ni- nice to watch. I just wish he would show up in Vancouver one of these times. <laughs> hey, we started the show talking about uh, John Herdman and, and, and him. Yeah changing jobs uh, today, going towards TFC. Uh, just thoughts on uh, that move and, and what it means for the, the future of the program. Well, just look, guys, and I heard you talking about it. Does, would any, does anything surprise you with that program right now? No. I mean, this is like a beloved coach, a real successful coach, and 
uh, him leaving that organization, maybe he was getting out while the getting's good. Yeah. Maybe that's that, that's and I, I'm sure he's getting paid well by by TFC and Lord knows they need some help with that organization as well. But just nothing nothing surprises surprises me. And Sad I heard you saying, and, and I feel the same way because this goes way back to the '80s uh, mm-hmm. for me. Um, I, I don't know anybody really involved in soccer who has a lot of confidence in that organization in Canada soccer. So I, do, do, is there confidence in them hiring the right person? I, I, I'm not so sure. I hope they prove all of us wrong. Yeah, I'm there with you. I don't have a lot of confidence. I mean, you have you had the best opportunity we've ever seen on the men's and women's side. And mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't say they've ruined it because, you know, that's that's probably being a bit too yep. dramatic at this point. But they certainly haven't taken advantage of it. And that's what's most disappointing, considering we've been begging for an era like this. And to see it kind of get fumbled is, is very oh. disappointing. It's very yeah, disappointing. Yeah, and, and, you know, the whole situation with the, you know, the finances being yep. front and center, bad finances, you know, before the start of the Women's World Cup, that wasn't fair. That was really that was really uh, I, I should maybe fair is the the, the wrong uh, word or phrase. The timing was just horrible, just horrible, and I, I can't I can't believe it. I have a hard time believing it didn't have an effect on uh, on the women's team. Hey guys, before I go, can I, can I say one more thing? Yes, sir. Um, I'm a big lacrosse fan. I just mentioned that I played it as as a kid. My family has always been heavily involved in the sport, and I'm telling you, folks. Uh, you might want to go down to New Westminster and start lining up at Queen's Park Arena. Mm-hmm. It's going to be sold out tomorrow night, Game 7, uh, WLA Final, uh, Langley Thunder, New West Salmon Bellies. And, man, it's just the, the best venue, may arguably the best venue in all of Vancouver for any sport. And it's just going to be rocking tomorrow. It's going to be a whole lot, whole lot of fun. And uh, if, you, if you can get out, if you've never been to a lacrosse game, that's the one you, you want to go see. Yeah, I mean, they get to host the Man Cup Canadian Championship if they win. So obviously, it's a big one. I know you're a huge lacrosse guy. And, you know, we were talking pre-show about this. And Fast Eddie Gregory, who you know very well, actually pitched the idea of us talking about the game tomorrow. So we are going to have some lacrosse coverage for the biggest game of the year, which is coming out tomorrow in New West. Yeah, it's uh, it's, going to be just so so much fun. And, you know, know, connections with both teams. So best best of luck to them. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Hey, Donnie, great stuff as always, my friend. Look forward to chatting with you next week. Always fun, guys. Thanks so much. Cheers. Great stuff. Uh, that is the one and only Don Taylor from Donnie and Dolly, the team on Check TV. They'll be back again very soon, just in time for hockey season. Now, you know, we are going to get into the Canada soccer thing a bit more in depth coming up a bit later on. And we would be remiss not to mention this text that came in from Basketball Phil. Canada basketball is better than Canada soccer. <laughs> and right now... Lies are not being told. Yeah, uh, Canada Real dusted topic. off Lebanon. This is after really making quick work of France, who is one of the top five nations in basketball in the world. And really bad tournament for them. I mean, they're already mm-hmm. out of the tournament, which is pretty bad for a nation like them that were, had, had big high hopes. But, man, they're playing in Indonesia right now. And not only is Canada looking pretty good, they might come up top in their group. But all of a sudden, is it unrealistic to wonder how far they can go? I mean, they're on a separate – they're on the different um, – side of the bracket from from Team USA, so it's mm-hmm. unlikely they're going to play them unless you get to the final. But could we start dreaming, perhaps? Is it too early to dream of a Canada-US basketball final in the FIBA World Championship? One game at a time here, Seth. It's two but, games. But, two games. But uh, you're, you're, you're making your progress, and you're through the next round. Uh, just They've impressed me already. Lithuania's uh, not going to be easy. No, but... The, the opportunity is there. Yes. And they're, they're creating their opportunity. They're earning their opportunity. And, you know, some players are showing out. And 
Uh, Phil's not wrong. No, uh, he's not. He's not wrong. The, the basketball program is thriving right now. Yeah, R.J. Barrett had a fantastic game against Lebanon. And, I mean, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, he's really— I mean, Shea Gilgis was a, what, top five, six scorer in the NBA last season? Mm-hmm. And, man, he's really bringing it. He's really bringing it. It's fantastic stuff from the men's basketball side. Now, uh, on, on the soccer thing, uh, real quick, we'll get into it a bit more. But Donnie kind of mentioned, you know, um, losing your momentum here. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of the issue where you look at nations in the world in general. I mean, why, you know, okay, maybe I should be careful with what I say about Hockey Canada right now, given everything that's happened. But generally speaking, why has the men's national or even women's national hockey program has been so good? The level of investment, Mm -hmm. the level of um, organization that they've been able to have, right? I mean, Canada was on the verge of doing that. And how do you get in your own way so much? I mean, he's right, Donnie. Like, it's an embarrassment that on the verge of the Women's World Cup, where Canada's considered a nation in contention, they're fighting over money. Spirit was taken out of the players. And look, I, I don't think the players performed very well either, but it's fair to wonder, is the organization setting them setting their players up for success? And my, you know what? They didn't. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, and I get it, hey... Oftentimes, when you talk to people from Canada soccer, they say, hey, you guys don't give our side of the story enough. Mm-hmm. There's more there than you guys make it out to be like. And, and and perhaps that's fair to some extent. But the way the entire thing works is, and I know they're trying to fund the Canadian Premier League and all that, and I, and I understand that's a good venture. But when you're asking the people that are finally bringing your soccer program to the heights it's supposed to be, to be the ones to fund what has to happen for the other programs, that's a hard sell. You know, there has to be different ways of, of this happening. And perhaps uh, the governments have to step in a bit more when it comes to funding and help figure this situation out. But it's Bush League, Vic. It's Bush League. What, like, could you ever imagine, and again, Hockey Canada has a lot of bad stuff is going on. Could you ever imagine that there's a fight with Hockey Canada and its players before a major tournament? They would never let that happen. They no. would never let that happen because of the distraction and because of everything that happens. So imagine, I wouldn't say how confident you are, but how ignorant you are to allow this to happen ahead of a massive tournament like this. And if you're John Herdman, how much of that do you see and say, you know, if, if they're if they're sing, if they're basically pulling the rug from under yep. our women's team before the World Cup, how much confidence should I have in the level of investment and support we're going to have for 2026? The, the peak of the program should not have been a goal against Croatia. And right now, it feels like it's fair to wonder if if that was the best we're going to see from what should be a really inspiring uh, generation of players and a really pivotal moment for the entire future of Soccer Canada. But right now, like the memory that's stuck in my mind and, and will be, will be the goal against Croatia. Yeah. And you were meant to improve upon it come 2026. It's fair to wonder, and I'm curious if John Herdman wondered if we're going to beat that moment. And if you don't, then I can understand why it's uh, the right time to uh, go to TFC. Now, if we're taking wagers on the reason why Hurtman left, I would put money on his lack of confidence in Soccer Canada. And I'm not sure he'll ever come out and admit that. And we'll, mm-hmm. we'll hear from him when he gets introduced as the TFC head coach officially. But that's kind of how I see it. Now, when it comes to somebody who is an expert in all this, we're going to get his perspective on it. It's Alex Gonge-Ruzik, who's going to join us for One Soccer, One Soccer. And that is coming up next right here on The People Show.